thank you for coming. My name is Larry Alford. I'm going to be your moderator here today. We're going to have a 30-minute session of presentation with Dr. Ife Albiola from Calgary. He's driven all the way down from Edmonton to visit with us this morning. Uh, the session is being recorded. If you could, please turn off your cell phones or turn them to vibrate. The cost of lunch is $14. If you could put $14 into the basket on the table and have somebody account for it so that Sheila can just collect the baskets at lunchtime. If you're only having tea, put in a toonie and leave a tip if you like. The um, format, 25 to 30 minutes for our speaker, then lunch, then a question period. And with that, I would like to introduce the gentleman who's arrived to speak to you today. Dr. Ife Abiola began his post-secondary training at the University of Lethbridge, majored in biological science and behavior ecology. He said he started in the lab with, is it Dr. Bill Cade? Is that what you mentioned? Yes. He then transitioned into medicine, completing his basis, basic science, tropical medicine, infections, infectious diseases, etc., and he has, uh, in 2016, he started working in Calgary in Lethbridge clinics, the 420 clinics, which card is out on the uh, table. And he's here to tell us today about the uses and applications of medical marijuana. Would you help me welcome Dr. Abiola, please? All right, okay. What a great intro. Thank you very much for that. Uh, so again, my name is Dr. Ife, Ab Ife Abiola. I almost uh, tripped up on it there. So that jumbling of uh, letters up there, that is my name, but you can just call me Ife or Dr. Abiola. That's just fine. Uh, so today I'm going to teach you about the basics. What should every Canadian know about cannabis? Uh, what do we need to know? So someone can hand you my remote down there. That'd be great. Okay, so by the end of this quick session, you should be able to explain what cannabis does to the human body. You should be able to compare and contrast the various routes of administration, so different ways that you can take cannabis. And you should be able to understand the clinical indications, so what it can be used for, the risks, and there are risks, and uh, the benefits of cannabis use. And save your questions to the end, but they're going to be good ones. So uh, let's look at some facts and some demographics. So we have not legalized cannabis here in Canada yet, but we can look to our neighbors to the south. Certain states uh, in the United States have legalized it, and they have kind of similar demographics to us in terms of their use. So let's look at this. So since 1997, what we've seen in the U.S. is that every single demographic, whether it's taking into account age or gender, has doubled since 1997 to 2013. Now, the only age group that did not double but tripled was 50 plus for cannabis. So what can we deduce from this? Why are people who are 50 plus using cannabis at a much higher rate than people who are younger? They're using it medically. They're using it for medical purposes. They have comorbidities, they have issues, they have pain, and it all adds up and they end up using cannabis for medical purposes. Okay, so what about Canada? What do we know about ourselves before we get into a little bit of the science here? So, as of right now, 39% of adult-age Canadians have admitted, and admitted is highlighted, uh, that they will be uh, cannabis consumers after July 1st, 2018, where Bill uh, C-45 does take place. 57% uh, of Canadians are supportive of the cannabis legalization plan. 26% of the total population are admitted, again, highlighted, cannabis users. 
78% of those who are surveyed are aware that medical marijuana can replace certain types of medication, and it can. 24% of current and potential users say that they will replace alcohol with cannabis, in fact. And 63% of of respondents favor the retail model, which is private, for recreational cannabis purchases. So this is just kind of a snapshot of the way the average Canadian feels about cannabis at this moment. So, I have a question for you all. How does cannabis compare to other drugs? And I apologize already because this is a trick question, because cannabis is not a drug. Cannabis is a plant that contains drugs. There are many different plants out there that we use for daily medications. Even things like chemotherapy, like a taxol tree, a tree that you could find in the forest, can be used for treating breast cancer. We need to kind of break down these misconceptions that cannabis is a drug. Cannabis is a plant that contains drugs. So it's a lot more nuanced than a lot of people think. So let's talk about this plant. How do we distinguish it? How do we separate it? What is cannabis? What is hemp? What is marijuana? Are they the same? Are they different? We'll go into that. So cannabis is an all-encompassing term for the species of the plant, cannabis sativa. So if it's hemp, if it's marijuana, it is cannabis. It's an overarching term. Hemp is often used for things like fabrics, fibers, even things like plastics, even things like fuels. Uh, Hemp can be used for that, and it's not psychoactive, and it's not often used for things like drugs. Marijuana. Marijuana is the female plant that has been dried that has THC in it, and that's the substance that can make you high. I'm going to use that term THC. Think of it as the high compound. Okay, so let's look at some taxonomy here. How do we distinguish the plant further? I'm not trying to swamp you with this, but it's necessary to know. So we have two different types, and they can be based off the way they look, their morphology, or the way that we react to them, the human body reacts to them. So let's first look at the indica species. So indica tends to be really sedating. It's something that you would use to feel sleepy, to maintain your sleep, or to induce your sleep. And the plant itself tends to be very bushy, very short, very broad, and really, really robust. Now compare that to sativa, which is another type of plant you could see. Now, this one's really tall and thin and fibrous, but the effects of it that we get is very uplifting, very energetic. So you may have heard of someone that you know who uses cannabis that said, I use it for sleep, but one time I got some, and I was up all night cleaning my house. They were using the sativa species. So this is just to show you that it's, it's all different. There's so many different nuances here that we need to take into account. Okay. So what is the drug in cannabis then? Those are called cannabinoids. Cannabinoids from the term for cannabis. So this molecule here, every single one of us has it in our bodies, and it is called anandamide. Now, anandamide is uh, actually a Sanskrit word for bliss because it's a happy molecule that we have. It regulates our mood. It regulates our sleep. Even the way that we perceive things we're going to be eating. I know many of you are hungry because there's going to be lunch coming up soon. But that is uh, also dictated by anandamide in your body. And it's in very, very small amounts. And again, it regulates all those different things. Now, if only... If only there was a molecule that we could get in the world that's very similar to anandamide so we can get these positive effects. And we do have it. And it's that THC that I had mentioned. So if we look at the morphology of these two molecules, THC and anandamide are very, very similar. And cannabis contains THC. So here's the reason why I'm telling you this. It's not that THC in cannabis is this foreign invader, this molecule coming in our bodies and changing everything. We have the infrastructure already in each and every one of our bodies to accept something like THC like it's natural. Okay, 
So let's talk about those cannabinoids, that THC that I mentioned, that high compound that is in cannabis. So you can find a euphoric feeling or a high. Uh, Euphoria just means like a happy kind of uplifting feeling. Uh, Over two milligrams of a dose, and it relieves things like pain, just to be very general. And it's uh, found in our brain, and it's found in our nerve tissue. Every single bit of nerve tissue in your body will have receptors for THC, and they're called CB1 receptors. Now, CBD, this is an interesting one, because many people say, I am all for this. I just do not want to get high. Don't want to do it. You know, I just want to keep away from that. CBD is a cannabinoid that has no euphoric effect, which a lot of people don't even know. People just say, I can use cannabis and not have, not be high. Are you serious? It doesn't sound like, of course, it's completely different. Two different drugs that are found in cannabis, THC and CBD. Now, CBD's main purpose is to relieve inflammation. It's a very powerful anti-inflammatory. It regulates things like seizures and tremors. You may have heard of uh, young children who have had to use this for Dravet syndrome or Lennox-Gastel seizures, and this is non-euphoric, non-euphoric form. Uh, and it's uh, responding to CB2 receptors that are in every tissue in our bodies. It's fascinating. Okay, so I have another question for you. I know you guys didn't expect a test, but there's going to be some questions here. So, question. The clinical evidence for inhaled cannabis is A, non-existent. B, limited to synthetic cannabinoids. C, includes placebo-controlled randomized trials, which have been published in well-reviewed and recognized uh, peer-reviewed journals, or includes thousands of peer-reviewed experiments. And of course, as we all learned in school, if you don't know the question, you don't know the answer, always pick the longest one. So it is C. C. (laughs) I heard all of the above over there. (laughs) Okay. So uh, let's look at how this works. So... One of the common questions that we will get is, uh, well, why can't we just have synthetic forms? Why does it have to be a plant? Why do people have to to smoke it or eat it? Uh, And they're partially right, Uh, but we have had synthetic forms for many, many, many years. Many patients are actually on them, Nabilone, Sativex, all these different ones. And a common uh, comment we'll get from people who are using them is, well, I used it for six months, and it just stopped working. I have no idea why. So... Why don't these medications work long-term? And it's because of something called the entourage effect. So the cannabinoids that are found in the plants, it's a little cut off there on the screen, but I'll fill it in. The cannabinoids that are found in the plant are greater than the sum of their whole. uh, uh, Greater than the sum of their parts, rather. Um, So what we see is we have different trace amounts of different cannabinoids in really, really small amounts that actually enhance the effect of the one that's the dominant one. Nabilone, Sativex, it's only one molecule you're getting, so it's not going to enhance the effect in the same way. So sometimes people will build up a tolerance to those things. So this is why people will say, even though there is synthetic forms, I prefer to use the plant because it actually works better. And it's not just in their head. It's not just psychosomatic. It is legitimate. And that is called the entourage effect. Okay. So, safety. How safe is this to use? How safe is this that it could be on, you know, your street in the next uh, few months? Let's talk about that. Okay. So, in every single one of our bodies, we have a brain stem. So the brain stem controls our heart rate and our breathing rate. Now, if we go back to the THC, you will remember that your brain is full of those CB1 receptors that respond to THC, except for the brain stem. The brain stem doesn't have them, which means that cannabis cannot affect your breathing rate, it can affect your heart rate. So let's say someone was using opiates for pain. What's the most common form of death with an opiate? Respiratory depression. They stop breathing because it's affecting their brainstem. Cannabis cannot, not will not, cannot affect your body in that same way. It can't do it. 
There is one caveat, though. Those CB1 receptors are in one small part in the brainstem, and that is the part that controls vomiting. And this is why you'll see a cancer patient who has been on anti-emetics for years say, for some reason, I used cannabis, and it worked. My nausea went away. I was able to do my chemotherapy. My appetite went up. This is the reason why. It's amazing. Okay. So what does this mean? Why are you giving us all this information? We know cannabis can be used in this way, but why are you giving us this information? Well, let's look at some average uh, yearly deaths from acute intoxication and overdose in Canada. So for alcohol, from acute intoxication and overdose, it is 1,000. For opioids, it is 2,400. This is in Canada alone. For water, yeah, I see you looking at your glasses now. For water, it's six. For cannabis, it is zero because of what I just told you there. It cannot affect your breathing rate and your heart rate in the same way. Amazing. Okay. Is cannabis addictive? This is a common question I get. How addictive is cannabis? Well, let's look. So let's look at substance use disorder. This is using any sort of substance beyond what it's supposed to be used for. So this isn't necessarily physical addiction because, you know, we can look at things like caffeine. You can be having a substance use disorder, but you can't be addicted to it physically. But let's look at substance use disorder, using it more than you should so it can affect your life. So nicotine, cigarettes, is 32. Opiates, like pain pills, 23. Cocaine, 17. Alcohol is 15. I'm going to open this up. What do we think it is for cannabis, for THC? Someone throw one out there. I know you guys are just chomping at the bit. Who said, who said seven? Someone behind me? I heard a ten. Uh, zero is very generous. I'm going to go with the ten is very close. So you may have done your research in the past, but it's nine. Nine percent of substance use disorder for, for cannabis. People who are able to form a habit that is dysfunctional with it. So this is just to put things into perspective. Uh, that being said, you can have substance use disorder for things like, again, co- uh, coffee, uh, for things like cheeseburgers, <laughs> for anything. So, But it's 9% for THC, the active ingredient in cannabis. Okay. Let's talk about pain pills. This is a big thing. Uh, this is affecting everyone's lives uh, in, uh, in Canada at this moment, uh, and it's something that we all need to address. And I know it's not a very pleasant uh, slide to go on, but it's not a very pleasant subject. But it's reality, and we all need to know about it. Now, just for a little bit of my background, I worked in a Suboxone clinic in Chicago. For a little bit of perspective on Chicago, uh, the West part is notorious for drugs. Notorious. I'm glad to be back in Canada. The West part is notorious for drugs. The South part is notorious for violence. I was working in the Southwest. (laughs) So I saw quite a bit of things that were very, very uh, dysfunctional in society, and I don't want Canada to go down that same route. Okay, so... This is just a snapshot of the U.S. So 60% of patients using opiates are using them from legal medical providers. Our doctors are some of the biggest drug dealers. It's not intentional. They're trying to help their patients, but it's something that could be uh, a result of giving out these pain pills. 50% of users taking opioids for more than 30 days continue to use them for three years, three years or longer. Addiction. 30% of total users are taking multiple forms of opiates, not just one. Even as a prescribed one, they'll take multiple forms. 44 people die every day in the U.S. from prescription opioid overdose. In contrast, 34 people die daily from heroin. And I think this is kind of a misleading slide. Why? Because many of the people who died from heroin started off taking prescription drugs. Exactly. 
something that you need to know about the way that society will be affected by cannabis. If we look at the rate in which prescriptions are given less for everything, uh, on average, pain is almost 2,000, fewer prescriptions for that. Uh, anxiety, uh, or more than 500. For sleep, more than 300. And here's the fact that you guys should all memorize if you want to remember one thing specifically. In places that have legalized cannabis that we're doing right now, we're in the process of doing. Look at Oregon, Washington, California, Colorado. What they found was, on average, I hope that's kept it, and it is up there, uh, there is a decrease of 24.8% in fatal overdose just by legalizing cannabis. It's amazing. Because of the safety, because of the low addiction, and because of the way that things can be replaced with it. Pain pills can be replaced with this. So what about Canada? Enough about the U.S. What about Canada? So... Right now, uh, 10 per 100,000 Canadian youth are hospitalized for opioid overdose. This is our fastest growing demographic. This is affecting our youth. Not marijuana. This is opioids. And I know this is very relevant to what's going to be happening with uh, November the 11th, Remembrance Day. But if you look at our seniors, the people who built this country uh, and who took it upon themselves to make sure that we have the freedoms that we're enjoying, they are the largest demographic. 20 per 100,000 Canadian seniors are hospitalized for opioid overdose every year. It's... It's astounding the way this is affecting our society. We need to look for alternatives. We need to look for ways that we can deal with our medical issues without these terrible side effects that are hurting our families and our communities. So how can a person use cannabis? Here's a quote from Dr. Janet Joy. Uh, so she says, where there's smoke, there's harm. There is no future in smoking marijuana. And I agree. I would agree. So the most common way that people will use cannabis is to inhale it. So if you inhale cannabis, it, it actually takes its effect within five to ten minutes. And it lasts around four to six hours. So the THC, that high compound, the CBE, the one that's not a high compound, enter the bloodstream via the lungs. So this is the most common way to do it. The problem is you're still smoking. You're still smoking. Cannabis doesn't affect your cilia and your bronchioles the same way tobacco does, but you're still smoking. Some people don't like to do it. I don't advocate it, really. So the other way you can do is vaporize. Vaporizing is actually putting it in a chamber that heats it up and does not actually combust the plant. It just releases those cannabinoids that I had mentioned. And there's less benzopyrene in it that has all these negative effects. Vaping is the, the safest way to go. And when I say vaping, I don't mean those, like, big apparatuses you see the kids have where there's a huge cloud around them and it's coming out of their truck. No. You don't even see any smoke come out of it. The last way is ingestion. This form actually lasts the longest, six to eight hours. It goes through our liver, and it turns to 11-hydroxy-THC, which is way more potent. So there's no smoking that has to be involved in this. There's different ways somebody can be taking these products. This is just to break down the misconceptions. Everyone tends to think you have to smoke it, you have to do this. No, there's many different ways that you can be using it where you do not need to smoke it, and there's different modes of action, different durations for onset too. Okay, so what does cannabis treat? Okay, so THC. Why would someone use THC even though it could make you high, even if you're using it for medical purposes? So the first reason is pain and neuropathy. The use of THC can change our perception of pain because of the density of the CB1 receptors in the thalamus. So if you have pain, if you have diabetic neuropathy, you can use cannabis. Chronic pain is one of the largest demographics of people who come to see us. Nausea and vomiting, as I mentioned before with the anatomy of the brainstem, this is a common one, especially for people who are going through cancer treatment or have any sort of other issue involving it. Insomnia, it helps with sleep induction and sleep maintenance. You can use it for that. Disordered eating, one of the biggest side effects that I will get into, and people tend to find it kind of funny, is it increases your appetite. The munchies, as we'll call it. So, uh, CBD can be used for things like inflammation. 
I hear some kick like everyone seems to love the munchies. I don't know. Uh, so for CBD, it helps with inflammation. Our most uh, common uh, thing for our elderly patients is often rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, especially if it's been treatment resistant. So it helps with inflammation of the joint space, joint stiffness, muscle spasticity is a big one, particularly in our MS patients as well. A reduced seizure threshold. Our pediatric patients, all of them that come in that are young, young children, tend to be using this for seizures, treatment resistant seizures. We've had people who have come in who are having dozens of seizures a day affecting their lives, young children who use that non euphoric CBD and are seizure free now. So, okay, let's touch a little bit on our side effects. So, first one, as I mentioned, was increased hunger, uh, distorted uh, perception of space and time, and this is why nobody should be driving under the influence of THC. Increased sleep efficiency with that indica species that I had mentioned before, decreased anxiety, acute reduction in blood pressure. This is actually kind of a warning, though. If you have very low blood pressure, you need to be doing this under the uh, tutelage of a doctor uh, to make sure that your blood vessels are not dilated to cause low blood pressure or orthostatic hypotension, as we call it. And also uh, pain reduction, analgesia. That's a big one. The perception of pain goes down with the use of THC. So... Let's look at some uh, sorry, perspectives on use. Who is coming to the 420 clinic, and what are they coming there for, without naming names, of course. So number one is a chronic pain. About a third of our patients are chronic pain patients. Rheumatoid and osteoarthritis is the uh, second most common one. Uh, cancer is a big one. We have a lot of cancer patients who come and see us, and they're all very lovely people. Uh, mental health. We have a lot of veterans, a lot of law enforcement who have come to us for mental health issues just because they're suffering with PTSD. Now, there was a study in New Mexico that showed with just 10 milligrams, just 10 milligrams of THC, there can be a more than 75% reduction of the PTSD scale called the CAP scale with just a 10 milligram dose. And this is why Veterans Affairs and the Canadian government have gotten involved in this, because it's been a very effective treatment for PTSD. Okay. Inflammatory bowel diseases or Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis. There was a study by Naphthali that came out in 2015, I believe, uh, where many of the people who joined the study went into complete remission from Crohn's disease. You can't do it with Humira, you can't do it with corticosteroids, but you can do it with CBD. Multiple sclerosis, uh, neuropathy, and fibromyalgia. So these are the main things that people will come in to use cannabis for. It's not going to be fun or I want to make Cheetos taste better as number one. These are the people who are coming to see us, people with actual medical reasons to be using cannabis. And these are the people that we try to help. So what is our role in the 420 Clinic? Who, do, who comes to see us? Is it someone like you? Is it someone like me? Who comes to see us? Who is our average patient? Let's get into that. So our average patient is between the ages of uh, 50 and 65. This is our average patient. A first-time user, so they've never touched cannabis before. If you ask them to spell it, they would say, I'm not sure, I don't speak Spanish or something weird like that. But yeah, first-time user. And they require non-euphoric forms of cannabis. This is our average person. There's this misconception that it's going to be some, you know, like young people with dreadlocks and their hat turned backwards. No, not at all. <laughs> Here's a shocking one. A lot of the people that come in, come in with family support. We see grandparents and their children and uh, their children coming in just to make sure that everything is going to be just fine with their, you know, their grandmother's arthritis or her MS or whatever. So uh, it's funny. It's kind of flipped on its head because I remember growing up in an elementary school, uh, you know, they'd say, like, remember, parents need to talk with kids about cannabis. And now it's children need to talk to their parents about cannabis because the parents are the ones who are using it. So, so family support is a big thing. We see a lot of families come in. It's, it's very, uh, very delightful to see. 
So, before we're recommending medical cannabis, and this also relates to our role, we will get a thorough history, a thorough medical history, including the, the medications that you're on, because sometimes they can interact, a psychiatric history. Uh, also, uh, if there's any history of substance abuse, we just want to make sure that the patient is completely safe. We also decide what level of marijuana is most appropriate with the greatest benefit and the least side effects. We want to maximize the good, reduce the negatives. And we want to recommend that patients, one, never drive or operate heavy machinery when under the influence of cannabis. And we also follow patients very closely for unintended consequences. They can, one, our service is completely free. That's another thing, too. It's not going to cost you a, a dime. Um, but we always make sure that the patient is followed up with, make sure that nothing is going incorrect with their dosing or their administration. And also, and this is a great thing that Health Canada and the College of Physicians have done, they make it so every three months there needs to be a follow-up. I think that's excellent to make sure everything is going fine with the patients because it is about the patients. That's it. Okay. I'm good for time. Yeah. All right. Mm. So I, I'm sure you guys have a lot of questions, and I will be here to answer all of them. I hope all of them. Uh, but, again, thank you all so much for uh, inviting me. This has been extremely enlightening. You guys have all been so welcoming and friendly. Uh, and, uh, yeah, thank you all very much for having me. Well done. Seven minutes ahead of schedule. Oh, yeah.